Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We are here in Los Angeles, California. We are your friendly neighborhood bookstore. We are bringing you conversations with authors all over the country. Um, We're trying to, you know, as you know, produce lots and lots of good free literary content for you while you're still somehow several months later in lockdown. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we are, we're just chugging along. Everything's good at the store right now. We're still open um, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day for curbside pickup, in-store browsing if you're wearing a mask, um, and we've got our website popping as well. Um, So we thank you for checking us out and continuing to support us through these strange times. Um, If you don't know me, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's your first time listening because I'm on every single episode. My name is Maddie Gobo. I'm the events manager here. um, And I'm so excited today to talk to Aisha Redux, who is a debut essayist. Um, I'm going to tell you a bit more about her book in a second. But uh, first, I want to just introduce her with her full bio. Aisha Redux was born and raised in New York City. Her parents emigrated from West Africa. She is originally from the Upper West Side, has lived in Harlem, and has been a proud resident of the South Bronx since her late teens. She is noted for her great capacity in conveying original insight through her writing and other creative outlets. As an avid culture seeker with an insatiable interest in global lifestyles, Aisha loves to travel. She speaks fluent English, French, and Susu dialect, and has a unique comfort and aptitude for assimilation to any environment. Also through these travels, she has gained valuable connections, a vast knowledge of cultures, and the force to launch a media and creative projects that inspire and impact. She has written for various publications and loves interviewing and podcasting. Wow, how fitting. So glad you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in addition to her writing ability, she is well-versed in pop culture. The creation of Stupid Black Girl, which is the title of her debut essay collection, is a uh, culminating outpour of her talents and inspiration. Aisha, congratulations on the book and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited, really excited to be here and talk about the book. Yeah, um, it's so great to to get to talk to you because as we mentioned in our little pre-podcast chat, you're on the exact opposite side of the country from me right now. You're in Long Island and I'm in LA. Um, You know, if we were trying to tell people about your book in normal times, we would have to fly you out here. So it's very cool that we can bring you to LA without you having to travel at all. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like the, the plus and minuses to this COVID thing. Of course, there's a lot more minuses, but um, we're kind of discovering like a whole new way to interact and whole new way of getting things done. And as literaries and people that read and love books, like we're always going to connect no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Book people will find other book people and you can't stop us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, I just wanted to have you introduce your book a little bit to our listeners. Um, can you, first of all, tell us the full title and, and then just okay. tell us a little bit about it and then maybe uh, read, read a couple pages? Sure. Um, my book is called Stupid Black Girl, Essays from an American African. And... Uh, the actual title, Stupid Black Girl, I always kind of have to preface this because um, it started off as a blog. And from a blog, it became a book. Stupid Black Girl was something that was said to me. It was a microaggression expressed to me in the midst of a deep conversation I was having with an acquaintance. We were sitting and just having just casual banter and I was dropping gems. I was enlightening him. You know, this Midwestern boy from the, you know, had never come across someone like me, I guess. And his way of um, kind of expressing that was through the microaggression. Oh, when I first met you, I thought you were just a stupid black girl. So um, he just said it so casually, but the, the resounding effect didn't, didn't really take, didn't take shape till I started having conversations with people later. And they started having all these reactions and extreme reactions to it. And for me, I was like, well, he might've, he might've said something very disrespectful and blunt, but this is something that's been expressed to me in various ways throughout the course of my life. You don't have to call someone a stupid black girl to make them feel like a stupid black girl. I've been white-splained too, I've been mansplained too, I've been demeaned and denigrated, you know, I've been underestimated various times throughout my life. So um, the book was very much a trigger, you know, the, the phrase was a trigger and it was the only way that I can sort of artistically and justifiably kind of respond to that, not just to him, but to the world at large, you know? And in starting this exploration, I started to ask myself about being stupid and stupid as a response to trauma and grief. Aisha, are you stupid? You know, in what ways do you respond to trauma and grief? And it just set me into this like rabbit hole of like exploring just my traumas and things I've gone through in life. So stupid black girl is essentially me holding up a banner of of this phrase to the world. So they can, they can kind of hold it as well. And it's not just all on me. It's not just on black women. And it, you know, it's, it's something that everyone else has to deal with as well, so to speak. Yeah. I like that because you're taking, you're taking the subtext that exists in American culture in particular um, and you're making it, literally making it the text, literally making it the title of your book so that people have to confront it and, and pay attention to it. Exactly. And it's something that's, I guess, a little bit challenging for some people to deal with. Um, it makes people a little bit uncomfortable and, 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 and angry. And those are all very natural reactions to the phrase stupid black girl. But the only way I can kind of get my message across the way it needs to be gotten across is by just 
having, <laughs> having the phrase out there. So the book is divided into three sections, um, spirituality, uh, my black experience and sexuality. And um, a lot of it has to do with me unpacking and unlearning my background of growing up in an Islamic household, me, you know, having my questions about my faith, about Islam, uh, as far as sexuality, kind of unpacking what it, what, what that, what that actually means coming from my background. And uh, my black experience deals with just encounters with liberals and, and conservatives and, and my identity as a black woman in the world and gentrification. So it's, it's a lot of stories. It's a lot of stories from a very nuanced perspective that I don't think many people really know. You know, not just a black woman in America, but a black woman who's a first generation, who's Islamic, who grew up in New York City, you know, who survived, you know, September 11th and, you know, gentrification in Harlem and, and just all these things that have been done to me and kind of mental, mental issues and, and mental health and all of that. So Stupid Black Girl is just kind of like, it's just me talking about all of that. So there's a subtitle too, which is Essays mm -hmm. from an American African, um, which I think is maybe a phrase that you coined. Can you talk, can you talk a bit about what that means? Sure. Um, <laughs> I actually don't want to say I coined it because I know that, you know, right now we're, we're in the midst of a lot of, of um, very important movements and moments and awareness. And, you know, the ADOS population is working towards solidifying, you know, their narrative and what has to do with that. Me, American African was just a way for me to kind of distinguish my story. So people knew that they were, they were going to get a different story. So um, in no way I'm trying to coin anything because I know that could easily turn into a think piece that could easily turn into something. And I'm, you know, it's, it's innocent is what I mean. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so you said this started from a blog. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what was the blog and, and kind of how, how did it become a book? That seems like a, an interesting oh. journey to tell our listeners about. Hmm. Um, what happened was, I guess a few years after this incident, like it just kept playing in my head, just, you know, stupid black girl, stupid black girl. I'm like, wow, that phrase just encompasses so much. There's like so much in there that I kind of want to address. And I didn't know how to do it. So I bought a domain and it was available, stupidblackgirl.com. <laughs> and what I did was I just started um, writing about my family and my life and my upbringing and like my views on race and, and then I, I went on Instagram and I had stupid black girl as my handle on Instagram. And I was still writing on my blog and I met my publisher actually, she was a follower of mine on Instagram. And I, I hadn't known um, up until I guess I had decided to kind of draft and, and write my book. And it just happened so odd and like serendipitous, like, I was just sort of looking at people that kind of like my posts. You know, you just kind of browse around your Instagram. So I clicked on, I clicked on her, her page and it goes, you know, Liz Francis, publisher. I'm like, oh, 
okay. <laughs> and I read kind of like, you know, what she had going on and her initiatives and street noise and what they were doing, you know, bringing marginalized voices to the public. And I was like, well, this sounds, this sounds totally like me. You know, this, the book that I was thinking, I was thinking more of self-published book. It's not the type of book that any big publishers would take a risk on. I, you know, because of it's, it's just, it, it's, it's anti, it, it's, a, it's an anti book. The title is very polarizing, you know. So I sent her a message like, hey, you know, so-and-so, I'm interested in writing a book and da-da-da. And she's like, yeah, I know who you are. I totally love your writing, da-da-da. So she was sort of halfway sold, you know. So I sort of did all the work before I decided, you know, to write the book, which helped me having the blog and having the following and people kind of know what I'm about. So I didn't really have to convince her of anything as much. And then she loved the writing. I sent her um, some of the writing and she liked it. And that's how, that's how it happened. That's so great. I, I, I mean, that's just another testament to like the power of small presses, right? That they can, yeah. they can find authors who wouldn't be represented by mainstream publishers and, and give them this great platform, even if it's small. I mean, I think, you know, once you have a small press book, then you're more likely to get more books, right? And like, it just takes that one publisher to take a chance on you. Um, so I'm really, I'm really glad that Street Noise is out here. They're pretty new, right? They just started uh, a couple yeah. years ago. They just started a couple years ago, and I'm just so impressed by it. I, I don't know how she scouts and finds all these different narratives and these really interesting people. I, I really don't know how she does it. And it's interesting because I feel like when she started Street Noise at the time, what it was is very marginal, you know? But now with, with the climate that we're in, people are, are I guess, more interested in the voices that she's, you know, she's putting out there and even my voice, like I, I've seen such a shift with people taking, paying attention now to what I had to say mm -hmm. before I feel like I had to be super loud. And I feel maybe subconsciously Super Black Girl as a title was a way of making sure people heard me and saw me and listened to me. And now, you know, people are, are listening and they're hearing. So yeah. I think it's, it's really amazing. Yeah, like in some ways, you know, having the book come out during COVID times is bad, but in other ways, it's like, this is the time when people are really starting to do the work of looking outside of their little bubbles, right? Um, so. Yeah, people seem to desperately want to find things and, and kind of understand themselves as well as others and, and just kind of progress. People are interested in progressing. Yeah, so. that's a new thing for us as Americans. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and it, it's still, still going to be a very new thing for a lot of people mm -hmm. that are not quite there yet, you know? Yeah. So. Um, do you want to read a little from the book? Sure. I'm going to read from Origin Story. And it starts out with the phrase, when I first met you, I thought you were just a stupid black girl. People often ask me about the title of my platform. Some are intrigued while others are offended. But honestly, I didn't choose this title. The title chose me. The first time I heard the phrase stupid black girl, 
directed at me. I was having a deep conversation with an acquaintance. We're in the middle of some philosophical banter and I was contributing some insightful thought. I was dropping gems on him. I'm an only child, so I've spent a lot of time assessing things from a distance. I like to think I'm pretty introspective and analytical. In the midst of our talk, I was opening his mind and expanding his consciousness a bit. So it seems he felt the need to acknowledge that in his own way. But he expressed this through a filter of ignorance and bigotry. Maybe it's relevant or maybe not that he happened to be a Midwestern white boy. But he said, as if it was some sort of flattery, when I met you, I thought you were just a stupid black girl. This didn't hit me completely right away. He said it so casually that I don't think I even took the time to process it. It flowed out of his mouth with no idea that it might be offensive. Like I was somehow already privy to a truth. But the power of this phrase seemed intensified by his casual delivery. It wasn't intended as a vicious jab he hurled at me. We were still there discussing and he slipped up and let his true colors show. Maybe even the true colors of much of society. And that's what lingered with me the most. When I think back to the time we met, I wasn't acting any more stupid or black than anyone present. I was at a party with my friends enjoying myself. But through this filter of his, I was, I was existing in a state of stupid black girlishness until proving otherwise. I told a few people about the conversation and about being called a stupid black girl. And they all responded with shock that anyone would openly say this to my face. A couple of them even said if it, if it were said to them, they would have responded violently. I understood the reaction somewhat, but the truth of the matter is, while this guy might have been the first person to state to my face, he certainly wasn't the first person to deliver this message to me. He certainly wasn't the first to demean or disrespect me like this. You see, this message had been delivered to me before in various ways, through being undermined or white splained to or belittled because of my race and gender. Somewhere deep down, I knew that isolated rage wasn't the answer. I it wouldn't even come close to equal retaliation. My rage had to be bigger than that, maybe even serve a higher purpose and amplify a message. The message wasn't that I was trying to prove that I'm not a stupid black girl. I can do that simply by existing. The message is that I refuse to pay for anyone's ignorance. The message is to make it very clear that there's nothing isolated about this situation. The message is, fuck you. I want to tear down this hierarchy that society has etched into our minds about where a black woman belongs and cast it away as bullshit. The message is a bold, subversive, and provocative exclamation to say that I'm well aware that society feels threatened by a black woman's intelligence and power. So threatened that a bigoted insult is offered in the disguise of a backhanded compliment. As an artist, I can take certain liberties and I'm taking liberty with this phrase that's been thrown at me by hanging it on a big shiny banner for all to see, sit with, and process. Through a filter of bigotry, I was expected to be stupid. I am a multilingual person from New York City who grew up around a lot of intelligent people. I'm thoughtful and I'm a writer. Why was I expected to be stupid? 
how did the nuances of who I was get seen as stupidity anyway? They didn't. I was simply expected to pay for everyone's ignorance and uphold the order of things. And I'm certainly not here for that. I wonder how the, the full scope of black womanhood measures up. Do we all just exist on a spectrum between stupid black girl and angry black woman? Through that lens, probably. But this phrase prompted an even deeper exploration of myself beyond race and gender. What did these precise words mean in relation to me? Time to self-assess. I wasn't a stupid black girl, but was I a stupid black girl? Could this phrase be a moment of reckoning? A girl I was not, I was a woman. But the stupid part was something that I wasn't quite sure of. I consider myself intelligent, but I don't necessarily consider myself smart. I always regarded the words smart and stupid as more of an, uh, as more of an extension of our actions than our capabilities. Smart as being able to make things work for you and stupid as being unable or unwilling to make things work for you. Stupidity is generally defined as a lack of intelligence and common sense, but there are other ways to interpret it. James F. Wells has a different perspective. In his book, Understanding Stupidity, he defines stupidity as prevention from adapting. He says that stupidity itself can be either innate, assumed, or reactive, and that it can even be a defense against trauma or grief. He distinguishes stupidity from ignorance, explaining that stupidity involves knowingly acting against your own best interest. Bingo, this hit home and made a lot of sense. It makes me think of an encounter I had a while back with a guy who had random psychic abilities. This young dude gave me an unsolicited reading at a friend's house. He made some quick, accurate assessments of my life and my family and how I have been affected by them. And then he followed it up with one final assessment. And you're stupid, he said. I was offended at the time, but now I'm able to connect more dots and dismiss my ego for the sake of healing. I realized that there was something to this, or at the very least, maybe it was some kind of weird anointing that paved the way for my embrace of this phrase, stupid black girl, and all the things in my life that have come with it. All of this thinking propelled me to write this book. I had been feeling creatively and emotionally blocked for a while, and the stupid was definitely a factor. I had to stop limiting myself. I needed to confront the things in my life that created this block and made me stupid. I needed to lift the veil and to proceed with more common sense. And I needed to heal from all the grief and the trauma. For me, this required fearless confrontation of myself and a fearless confrontation of the filter through which much of society sees me, the sources of stupid. How is this same stupidity affecting other people? How are individuals in society preventing themselves from adapting? And how are they acting against their own best interests? What about whole cultures, cultures and nations? I challenge us all to step up with fearlessness and confront the sources of stupid. So that's our origin story. I love that deep dive into the meaning of stupid and, and the idea that it's more about adaptation than your brain smarts. That's so fascinating. And I think like 
in the Thank context you. of in the context of racism, right? A structural racism. Um, being stupid would be refusing to, uh, you know, fit into these roles that that structural racism has set out for you, because it would just be so much easier if you accepted them, right? Yeah, uh, and also through the context of the oppressor itself, being stupid is is being confound and being stuck being stuck in a, in a cycle that's been created for you by your ancestors and refusing to step outside of this, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a great place to start with this book. Um, thank you for your reading. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, so I'm curious kind of now that your book is out in the world, what's kind of, what, what's the life that you see it taking on or that you hope for it to take on, you know, now that it's left your computer? Um, I mean, in the beginning of my introduction, the first line is, I wrote this book to heal. And I, I mean that. I mean that. Um, writing is it's a coping mechanism for me. Writing is how I deal with my anxiety. It's how I deal with my stress. I write every day. And I don't just write because I'm a writer. I write because I need to write. And it's the only way I actually know how to, um, to kind of feel okay. Mm -hmm. So the book was sort of like me making myself feel okay on a grander level because I forced myself to kind of challenge certain things that I've experienced in life that I, I you know, probably just play over in my head. And, you know, I probably wouldn't really share with people. So the most important thing for me was to get it out. Mm -hmm. That was the, the primary step and I did that. And the second was to be able to connect with people, having people read it and, and see themselves in it. Black people, of course, black women like me feeling seen is something that I've heard a lot. Also people that may not be black and, and kind of maybe see where I'm coming from when it comes to the trauma and, and, and stuff like that in the book. So the main thing for me was um, connecting. It was connecting. Like when people read your book and they tell you they feel seen, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Like that's, and people just having favorable things to say and people people really getting it, you know, because as a writer, as an artist, it's, it's such a gamble, you know, like it's not necessarily something that you're going to, you're, you're making millions off of, you know, you're taking a chance to, to be able to do what you love and express yourself. And the realest validation and the realest sense of victory for me is when people read my writing and they feel it and they connect with it. I'm like, okay, wow. Okay. So as far as that, like, I, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm good. Like, whatever happens, you know, it's, it's pretty much a bonus, you know? I don't really have any expectations when it comes to numbers, and I try not to kind of look at that, you know? I, I mean, eventually I will, I guess. But where, where the book is, is it's its own journey, and I'm happy with that, so. Well, I think just hearing the bit that you read, like, the amount of deep thought and revisiting of that one small instance in your life like that just the process of like putting that all on paper is so hard um but so worthwhile because then you can 
have your reader go through that processing alongside you. And, you know, even though when you were doing it, it probably felt really hard and lonely. <laughs> you've, mm -hmm. created, you've created an experience that other people can share with you, um, you know, retroactively. So, I mean, that's like one of the beautiful things about writing is that it, it's this very, very lonely profession that oh, yeah. exists to create <laughs> connection, right? Like, exactly. So that's the, what you put it is so amazing. I, I never actually thought about that. Like that solitude that, you know, that you take in and to create things that connect people. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. I forget who told me this, but somebody described um, a, a book as just a thought that's too big for you to say out loud. <sighs> and I think, I think that's so true, right? That like what we hope for from all of our books or, or all the best books is that they allow us to articulate these things or to at least try to grasp them in their entirety. Because like the things that you're writing about here, you know, sexuality, the black experience, spirituality, these are enormous, enormous topics. Um, but just from hearing your writing, I can see that you have the ability to kind of guide your reader through them and, and kind of take them along on that journey. And that's like, that's just such a special, <laughs> special thing to share with your reader. Um, thank yeah. you. And, um, I, I try to make like my writing voice as, as eloquent and relatable as possible because I, as a writer or, you know, I, I really want people, I, I want to, I want to write stuff that people would read that I would read, you know, when someone DMs me, oh, I don't usually read, but I'm going to get your book. Hey. You know, it means that they're seeing me as someone that's a storyteller, someone that has something interesting to say, and not just like a writer who wrote a book that you must read, you know, because we're in such a must read moment right now. Yeah. And we're kind of forgetting that, you know, the power of narratives and how, you know, in learning about race, it's also important to learn about people's journeys and what they've been through and the different experiences that make people who they are in a racist environment, you know, as opposed to just rules, pretty much. Yeah, I do. I do worry about that a bit with the kind of the rush to read all of this anti-racist literature that maybe white people think that there's like some magical guide that you can follow and not be racist <laughs> but that's not how it works i think it, yeah i think it is i think there's there's some i mean of course knowing history i think all the difference i notice is being open to wanting to learn because we all have the capability to actually listen to information and what we want to take in and take it in you know people just make a choice whether that they want to listen or they don't want to listen. That's the difference. So making a choice to want to take in, you know, historical content and all that. But another layer of that, the most important layer is empathy. Empathy isn't something that you can read and gain from a book. You can read a whole bunch of books and learn a whole bunch of history. But if you really don't want to empathize, if you feel that there's way too much, you know, equity in, in, in being who you are and not giving it up, you're not going to. So I feel like the best way to kind of get there, if you can get there, is to connect with people, you know, people that might not be in places where they're exposed to different cultures and, and race. Read someone's story, you know, see how, see how 
they're human like you and things like that, you know, how you guys align. Yeah. I'm curious, like, since you started writing this all online, um, how, what, do, what have you learned from, from blogging that you took with you into writing the book um, or vice versa? Like, what did you take from writing the book back into your blogging? Wow. Um, what I did was I, I immediately just started sharing a whole bunch of thoughts on my Instagram. So my Instagram sort of became a second blog. And I started realizing that I'm, I'm trying to kind of create a community of people and kind of post questions and pose and just kind of see what's really going on and think outside of myself. So the blogging helped me get feedback and just people's point of view. And it helped me to kind of get a really clear picture of who the people were that would read my book and who the people were that kind of get into my thoughts and who they are, you know? So blogging kind of helped me become more expansive minded and being not afraid of being wrong. That's why I was able to, in the origin story, ask myself, am I stupid? You know, I was able to kind of really be comfortable with saying, okay, I know I'm an intelligent woman, but am I stupid? So it's, it's, it's kind of like a vulnerability that you allow yourself as someone who's interested in evolving as a human being. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think as a writer, that's really important because that vulnerability and that connection is what people, people sort of trust in you and, and, and it kind of inspires them to kind of get more out of that from themselves. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the, the ideal version of the internet, right? Where you're actually able to create a supportive community and, and develop your voice. Like, I think yeah. whatever you're doing is like, you're right on target because not everybody Thanks. is able to pull that off. And especially in today's discourse where everything's so polarized. I mean, I, I welcome polarity as long as it's not, you know, just disrespectful attacks and just like blatant, you know, someone coming on with an agenda or whatever. But I consider my, you know, my followers and my platform, these are the zeitgeist to me, you know, they, they know what's going on, whatever I ask them, they kind of know what's going on. And yeah, and it's because I allow them because I made my platform something to be utilized like that, you know. I'm not just adding a zillion selfies and it's not just like a self-gratifying vanity project. You know, it's people are there because they want to connect with other people. They want to hear what I think, but they also want to hear what other people think mm -hmm. because that's who I am. I want to express myself, but I also want to hear what other people think, you know, because we all want to evolve. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's such a valuable perspective to come from, especially in writing a book, you know, because I think, authors are so encouraged to really silo themselves off while they're writing, but your whole writing process was about in input from other people. Um, so I think yeah. that's, that's really unique. Um, I have one more question for you before we sure. say our goodbyes. I'm, I'd love to hear sort of either what you're reading right now or a book or author who's kind of carried you through the past five, six months of nonsense. All right. Um, ideally, <laughs> I was telling myself, oh, my God, Aisha, you need escape. Find some fiction. Find some amazing fiction. 
but I'm not much of a fiction reader and I hate that. And it's not because I don't love fiction, it's because I'm just not tuned into fiction. So it's been Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up <laughs> Tipping Point and um, I, just, I just like, I'm just so inspired and motivated by the connections that he's able to make. And as a writer, like someone who writes about my life and memoirs, being able to like add connections to narratives and just really like get a whole big picture and a whole big bang effect from your writing. And the way he does it is, I mean, he's a master. Like, I don't even know how he just goes into this whole black hole of, of nerding out and research. And I mean, I hope to one day get to that black hole. I hope, I hope to get there. <laughs> Until then, I'm always kind of inspired by him. And so Malcolm Gladwell, definitely. But listen, I, I need some good fiction. So that's, that's what I'm trying to get to right now, some good fiction. All right. Well, maybe we can, uh, after, after we stop recording, I can give you some recs. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to end there. Thank you so much, Aisha. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you making the time to uh, talk to our Thank listeners you. today. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. Thank you. Go get Stupid Black Girl. I promise it's a great read, guys. Great, easy read. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say before I sign off? Um, just be, be sure to check out the book, guys. Um, it's a collection of really thoughtful, provocative essays, straight from my heart, straight from a great place, very thought provoking. So if you're, if you're in that space right now and you just kind of want to search and deep dive, give it a look, check it out. All right. All right. Thank you, Aisha. And, uh, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.